Hey, how are you? And welcome to Brand Wagon. This is the show that we shoot here at Wistia in what was once a conference room and is now our multi-purpose studio. That's right. Now we have our live studio audience of random individuals that I've never met before. Who are you? You haven't been in this audience before. We've got the crew, very busy on their phones. Uh, yeah, hi. Thanks, thanks for being with us today. We've got Steve-O. Here's every whisper, everyone. So I've been getting questions. How many episodes of Brand Wagon are you gonna do? Are you gonna keep doing them every week? Are you gonna do them every day? They would absolutely kill me if we did that. But no, we are not. So today is actually the penultimate episode of season one. So we've got today's episode, which is gonna be a great one. We've got a great one for you next week. But you might be wondering, what should you do when you're not watching Brandwagon? Well, we have the podcast. The podcast, everyone. Brandwagon interviews. Now I, for one, find it a little bit funny to watch myself on the show. And for some weird reason, I do not mind listening to myself on the podcast. So I've been listening to podcasts while I've been working out, while I've been walking to work, sometimes in the car. Uh, I'll admit that every once in a while I'll take a speaker, throw in the shower, listen to myself on the podcast. <laughs> and um, the thing that I love about the podcast is that so many of these interviews, I'm learning so much. We're talking about all these super interesting topics and we just can't fit it all in the video show. So if you want more, check out that podcast. The podcast, everyone. Now, today we have Justine Jordan on the show. Justine is the CMO of Help Scout, and previously she was the VP of Marketing at Litmus. She's a fantastic marketer, and she, she started her career in design, so she's, she happens to have worked for a number of companies that care very deeply about design. Now, we've known Justine for a while here at Wistia, and I want to show you a video that we made for her from the archives. Let's take a look. If your campaign is in disdain, don't fret, we've got the cure. Just laugh, just smile, Justine. Send those campaigns out in style with Justine. Cross client consistency, layout squeaky clean. So just put your hands together for Justine. Justine. Wasn't that lovely? I just, I just love that thing. I love that song. Um, so that video is actually from our conference that we used to do called Wistia Fest. And before every speaker, we would make a video for them with a custom song, and we would surprise them. So they would call, be called up on a stage, and they'd play that video, and they would usually stand there <laughs> watching this thing, this video of things that they're interested in, a song, and then they'd come on bewildered. And it was really like a lovely moment, but it was something that we did for just that group, just for 400 folks. But we also did it for you. Oh, you're talking about that now? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, but before your speech, we wouldn't show you until your speech either. That is true, We yes. made a super 90s song for you because you're so 90s. Well, I mean. You were an aggressive rollerblader. Let's roll it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Nothing to do. I need a little savage just to get me through. So I'll drink five coffees, take a run, talk about a corn, and I'm hanging for lunch. Come on. We want savage, Christopher Savage. Savage. We want savage. It's just a savage kind of day. It's just a savage kind of day.
Wow. Savage kind of day. I'm having a savage kind of week over here. I think we all are here this yeah. yeah, week. Yeah, it's been a big week. That's right. Having a great week. Um, so I wanted to show you the Justine video, not the Savage Kind of Day video. That's my special one. Uh, <laughs> because that was a video that we knew was going to have a relatively small audience. It was going to have 300, 400 people watch that thing ever. And yet it was very impactful. It helped change the whole vibe of Wistia Fest. Like, Everything felt like exciting and fun, and you were seeing behind the scenes of the speakers, you're seeing the behind the scenes of Wistia, and we wanted that vibe. We wanted the conversations to continue. And we did that with Wistia Fest. There's been other videos like that over the years that we've done, and then we've talked to other folks. And it turns out that there's a lot of videos that are made for actually a very small audience that can have a very large impact. And we thought to ourselves, you know, these videos, no one's seeing them. They're not hearing about them. And yet, some of them are the most impactful videos that companies are making. And that's why I'm excited to announce that we have a new show coming out called Low Views High Impact. That is right, hosted by Kristen Bryant. And that will be coming out uh, in November, I believe. Is that correct? Very soon is Shortly. the date. Very soon. Sydney in the back, do you have a date? We don't have a mic on. I cannot. There's no mic back there. But I think she just said November. No, she said, no, she said, don't say a date. So, <laughs> so low views, high impact coming out soon. That is right. Um, we'll be right back with my interview with Justine Jordan after this. Presenting Songs About Wistia. A stunning compilation of songs with lyrics that explain Wistia's features all in one jam act collection. Sing along to your favorite hits like I'm a video hosting platform for business. I'm just a video hosting platform for business. I'm just a business. I'm looking for a place to host my videos. Grammy nominated. Control and customize the look and feel of your player. You can control and customize the look and feel of your player. You can control and customize your life. And who could forget the song that defined a generation? See who's been watching your videos and send that data to your CRM. See who's been watching your videos and send that data to your CRM. Songs about Wistia, available on cassette and now on high fidelity compact disc. To learn more about Wistia or to sign up for a free account, visit us on the World Wide Web at www.wistia.com. Today I'm very excited to play an interview for you with Justine Jordan. While Justine was the VP of Marketing at Litmus, she helped them grow from 8 employees to over 100. And she is a design-centric thinker. She comes to the design world, and today, while she's at Help Scout, Help Scout is actually a remote company, as is Litmus. So she had to create a process and a system for how to build a brand across those companies. It was a super interesting interview, and I think you're going to learn a lot. Let's roll the tape. Justine, welcome to Brandwagon. Thank you. So excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so Justine, we've known each other for a long time, probably eight years or so. Mm -hmm. um, you were at Litmus, which is an email creative platform, you know, analytics on how emails perform, tools to test emails in different clients. And you ran marketing there and helped that company scale from eight employees to I think over 120 today or so. 
And now you are at Help Scout, and of course, I know what Help Scout is. Yes. But for those who don't know, could you could you tell us? I would be happy to tell you. So you might have heard of Help Scout as a help desk platform, B two B SaaS software. Um, but like any good team, like any good company, we're always evolving our positioning, um, and more and more, we're leaning on this idea that we are a customer messaging platform. So if you're a customer centric business that cares a lot about providing a human and helpful experience, um, Help Scout's going to have tools that let you uh, communicate with a shared inbox, so the help desk uh, platform, uh, along with uh, a tool called Beacon that's uh, live chat, uh, self-service, as well as some uh, in-app and proactive messaging, uh, documentation, so knowledge-based, that kind of thing. So a whole suite of tools that help you communicate better with your customers. And you have a lot of design experience. I know you're a designer at heart. You studied visual communications in school, um, and you run marketing teams. And tell me about how design principles have, and your design principles have made their way into building the brands that you work on. For sure. I always say that going to school for uh, design or visual communication taught me how to think. Um, and not just about all things, but taught me how to think like a designer. And there's a very specific uh, methodology or framework called design thinking uh, that I was trained in and that I use to this day as a marketer. I actually think it's a brilliant framework for marketing. And what design thinking teaches you to do is to identify the, the, root, the root cause of a problem and then solve it through a very methodical process. Um, you identify solutions, you test them, you iterate, and then you put them back into practice and the cycle continues. And how does that play out at a remote company? So Litmus was remote, Help Scout is, re is remote first. Like what do you need to do to do you know, thoughtful design thinking and also to do great marketing when you're in a remote environment? Yeah. Well, I always say that the biggest thing about being a successful remote company, but even a successful remote marketing team, it all comes down to communication. And the fun thing about design thinking is that you can apply it to any problem. It doesn't have to be a marketing problem. It doesn't have to be a business problem. It can be literally any problem. And so in the case of communication or in the case of remote communication, it, the same thing applies. You could say, oh, well, we're not communicating well internally. We're not understanding why we made certain decisions. Um, we even just have challenges, let's say, working together as a team because we don't all sit in the same spot. <laughs> We're not co-located. Totally. Yeah. Um, and so you could try a whole bunch of different things. You could say, well, what's the root cause of the problem? Um, and identify a whole bunch of solutions and then roll them out. Um, but at the end of the day, um, a successful remote communication uh, style as a team, especially as a marketing team, is going to come down to being proactive and intentional about what you're communicating and most importantly, the why. Uh, so anytime you make a decision as a marketing team, you've got to say, we need to write this down, codify it, and explain how we came to the decision so that everyone understands. And that's even important from a brand perspective, because if people don't understand the why you've made a decision as a business and as a brand, I can't, as, as a marketing leader, ever understand how you would expect someone to do it again in the future. <laughs> well, they can't, if they don't know why, they, then they can't connect to the why. Right? And they also like, can't repeat it. They can't repeat it. They can't repeat it internally. But your potential customer, if they don't know the why, then they're not going to care. Exactly. It's just a result, right? Like, there's no, if you need to know what the values are, to decide, like, do I align myself with these values or not? Do they represent me or not? And that's a big part of the design process, too, is just asking why, 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 
why, why, why, why, why? So like knowing your customers, getting inside their heads, getting to the root of why they would be asking why. But at the end of the day, all of this even has uh, an effect externally because I would say you can't be a great marketer if you don't know how to write. And I feel very passionately about hiring marketers that are also really great writers. Because at the end of the day, if you can't communicate well internally, I don't know how you'd ever expect your team to communicate well externally. So the insides have to match the outsides. When I look at Help Scout, Help Scout has a bunch of competitors. Yep. Some really big ones. Mm -hmm. There's some small ones. Um, and Help Scout has a quite a differentiated brand. Mm -hmm. It's been a conscious choice. How much do you think that brand matters in terms of a way to differentiate from competitors? You know, you ask anyone that knows, like you go ask Seth Godin or anyone, or I even think Mark when he was on the show before, uh, talked about how like you don't really own your brand. Like your brand is what your audience or even not your audience thinks about you. And even maybe what your not audience thinks about you is even more powerful than what your audience does because what your brand isn't can be is just as powerful of what your brand is. And you can influence that to some degree, but at the end of the day, your brand differentiators are going to be articulated by your consumers or the businesses that you're trying to reach, depending on if you're B2B or B2C. And for at least Help Scout or even Litmus or any company that I've ever worked at, it was a matter of taking your company values and empowering all the people that work there to display them on a regular basis, no matter if they were an engineer or a customer support person or a designer or a marketer or whatever they were. Um, and so using brand to differentiate, really, it has to come almost from the top because that's where values come from. It's from leadership displaying them on a day-to-day -day basis and then trusting and empowering pe the people that work there um, to do it. So it could be as much as um, you know, telling your support staff, you can freely give refunds. You don't need to, whatever. You can, you can give people a trial of that feature. You can do whatever it takes to make the customer like, happy. So you're saying it's like, to do it well, it needs some strategic buy-in from, from the senior folks on the team so that they're enabling everyone to make all the decisions they need to make to try to scale the brand and make the brand stronger. It, it, your brand will never be differentiated because if, if the top, if all the senior leadership is saying, we're a great brand, and then all the people at the bottom are saying, well, I can't actually make the brand great on a day-to-day -day basis, it's going to completely fall apart. So is it true that you're working on a show? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show is in pre-production. Okay. We have filmed a pilot. Okay. And we're uh, in the process of lining up our, our next two. So we're going to do three episodes um, as part of our, uh, you know, we talked about the design process. This is part of us iterating and testing yeah. <laughs> to see if, if we're able to solve, uh, you know, a, a problem that we think exists, which is... Uh, this idea that um, there are customer-centric, obsessively customer-centric brands, that their customer-centric obsession is what ultimately becomes their brand differentiation. That's like their brand moat. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe even in the face of like giant competitors with really deep pockets, with tons of money, with tons of resources, we jokingly say internally that these companies should be dead, but they're not. And usually it's because they have some sort of um, just deep connection with their customers that make them successful. That's awesome. And so you've shot a pilot. Mm -hmm. And did you set out to do that first 
or like tell me tell me about that process. I mean, you know, building brand wagon and uh-huh. getting guests before there was a show. A little or, bit tricky. A little tricky. <laughs> what are you going to do? Am I going to look like an idiot? Yeah. Um, are there going to be distracting VHS tapes um, that I need to take home with me? Uh, I love the VHS yeah, yeah. tapes. Um, but like, tell me about like how it's, what types of guests are you looking for? How did you get to the place where you decided to make a pilot? The process started with, uh, really just one, uh, one brand who I won't say, uh, quite yet because I don't want to ruin the surprise for everyone. (laughs) Um, but it's a brand that you probably haven't heard of unless you are a devoted member of that community. Um, and it even has kind of like a controversial name, um, now I just want to tell you about it. Yeah, what is this brand? <laughs> what, is, what is this guy? So it, it's 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 a brand. It's a company called Death Wish Coffee. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you'd think like Death Wish Coffee, even their logo is like a skull and crossbones. Yeah. Uh, and it's like all black and white, and it looks kind of like dark and heavy. So it's like a risky coffee to drink. You well again, you would think that on the surface, yeah. but you dig just a little bit deeper, and the purpose and the meaning behind Death Wish Coffee. It's actually super inspiring, super positive. Um, Their whole brand ethos is around the idea that you only get one life and you need a beverage that's going to, you know, caffeinate you and fuel you so that you can make the most of it. Okay. Um, I like that. It's it's a kind of a mission you can get behind. Oh, yeah. Um, and especially, they, they claim to make the world's strongest coffee for people that are very passionate about their life's work and what they want to... Like the most caffeine per cup? I, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if they've had this tested or anything, but... <laughs> I'm sure they have, yeah. They probably yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, again, you start to dig, like, a little bit deeper. Like, people have, like, death wish tattoos. Actually, I was just in Acadia National Park, like, hiking a few weeks ago. And there was a guy on my kayak trip that had a death wish sticker on, like, his water canteen. Um, so people that are death wish coffee fans are, like, diehards. They have, like, an incredibly strong connection. They have, like, very strong brand affinity. Talk about brand affinity. Yeah. Yeah. They have it in spades. Yeah. Um, people are, are incredibly loyal. Um, and it's not just because like the coffee is strong, it's because of the, the community and, and again, like the ethos that they've created around the brand. It's all these people that feel very passionately, very strongly, um, about doing great work in their lives. Yeah. It's like a, it's almost like, well, I guess it's drinking Deathwish coffee is part of your personal brand. Exactly. Because they have such a strong stand. That if you are if you are someone who loves it, it represents them. Yeah, the Death Wish Coffee represents who they are, that's and that's cool. why they're willing to get their logo tattooed. Yeah, because if it's about making the, the most in life, like I can see that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and then now you're looking for the the other guests, like round out the series. We the ha- we have one other guest lined up. Cool. Hopefully, uh, going to shoot next month, and we're working on our third. Cool. Um, but yeah, to your point, if you don't have a show, if you don't have something to show these folks, yeah, I have a hypothesis. And I think your brand represents the hypothesis and I yeah. want to talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, it it's been challenging. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, even things like how do we want, um, uh, how do we want Help Scout as a brand represented as we shoot the show? Yeah. Um, how do we want like our employees on camera um, to, to behave and interact? Like, again, we feel very strongly Help Scout for Good is all about like underrepresentation in tech. How do we have our brand values um, showcased in a show that we're making. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff you're talking about is like actually that pre-production is hard. 
Pre-production is incredibly hard. And it's also the thing that when done properly, you end up with like a repeatable output. Yes. It's like, oh, okay. So the, you, you know, it's the, and it's usually the hardest in the first episode, I would say, huh? but getting something that you can look at and you're like, this is actually what we want. This feels right. And up until that point, it's like, how do you get the balance of all those different things? And the something that's right, getting to that one show is incredibly powerful internally and externally. Mm -hmm. Because internally, it was one of those problems where like, we weren't really sure that we had it nailed until we saw it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my, the design problems that I, I hate, like that I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> because that's hard with video um, and production because it's expensive and time consuming. Um, so you can storyboard and table read and script, but with a documentary, you don't really want a script. Um, you know, we don't have something, I don't have a teleprompter behind yeah, me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so getting all of that right um, from pre-production wise and internally is one thing, but then getting it right so that your brand is represented externally so you can go sell the show to other people to get on it is incredibly difficult too. But once we had even a rough pilot in place, it's made the the next conversations that much easier to say look this is what we're going after well, and it keeps getting easier right because you're going to find the things that work and you're going to say aha this is how alp scout always gets into this yep. show or we're always going to have like a clip of an employee here in this way yep. we're always going to start in another way uh, and it's funny because even what you're describing you know we had the concept for brand wagon we thought we're going to shoot these interviews we're going to have the desk intro we're going to do all this stuff but it wasn't till the first episode was put together with all the pieces you're like wow like you can watch it it makes sense like yeah. it all flows the way it's supposed to flow and then it's become easier and easier and easier to repeat it yeah which i think is part of the magic it's like the hard it's hard to find a format yeah and then once you can find it like a format that represents the brand and accomplishes the goal that you know you have a pilot for i think it is much easier to repeat it well and i swear i'm not being paid to say this but wistia is a is a great help because y'all have done this so many times your experts, even going back like eight years ago when I first discovered Wistia and was working with the platform and I shot my first like iPhone video, like your resources and the fact that you learned the hard way and educated the market about how to do like video better. I remember the first time I wrote a script and did a table read at Wistia's suggestion and I was like, oh, this made all the difference in the world. Like a little, a little bit of pre-production, even if it's just a one person marketer writing a script and doing a table read, even to time myself to make sure like, oh, well, I wanted to make a 90 second video, but I wrote three minutes worth of content. Whoops. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's like, you know, for years, I feel like we've been on this trajectory of like, all right, we're going to teach people how to make, uh, how to, you know, create their own studio, uh -huh. basically taking a conference room and putting the paper up and all that stuff. And then we're going to teach them about the iPhone. And we've like worked our way to the place where it's like, well, you are confident, I think, at this point that you can hire a team or you can do people internally can make it. You can make a great video. Yes. It's like, but how do you make a great video series? Yes. And at this point, Wistia, because you've done it before, yeah. made Brandwagon, like you're in such a great position to, to help people like us, even though we might have a little bit of video experience, uh, learn from your mistakes because you've learned a lot about the totally. way. And we... Uh, yeah, we've made a lot of mistakes. We appreciate you telling <laughs> us about them. <laughs> Um, you know, you also had a series of limits, right? The email market share. Yes. I, you know, I've never thought about that as a series and I appreciate you elevating it to that level. <laughs> well, that's what it was. It was the same format every time, it right? It was. Um, and for those who don't know, tell us, tell us about that. 
Yeah, so uh, Litmus had a piece of software, or still does, called Email Analytics. Um, and the idea is that you embed this tracking pixel in your email and you get all this great stats back around like who's reading, where they're reading, how long they're reading. Um, it's a great marketing tool. A little plug for my former employer there. Uh, but uh, behind the scenes, like Litmus is collecting all of that data in aggregate. And we anonymize it and then used it as, as a marketing tool, but also to educate the market because... Uh, a lot of folks, because Outlook was such a difficult client to build emails for to get the rendering to look right, a lot of folks got really hung up on how their emails look in Outlook. Well, if you don't have anyone reading your email in Outlook, maybe you shouldn't care about it. Um, and so we used, uh, we called it just email client market share as a way to not only evangelize like the product and to get a little bit of word about that, but also just to educate the market around this is a thing. You can understand where people open your emails and that way you can tailor your design and your testing around that. And that was like this funny thing because it was like, that was incredibly repeatable. Yep. And very simple. But it was like building a connection to you and building a connection to Litmus like as the experts. Yeah, because eventually, like once we experimented with the format enough times, exactly, we had a high top table, we put an iMac on it, um, I had like a keynote template that I would yeah. filter in like the different stats. So yeah, we we very much got it down to a science for the first few took us. I mean, they'd probably take us a couple hours to film because again, I wasn't doing table reads. I wasn't writing the script out ahead of time. Um, but over time, you get the keynote template, you get the format, the setup. Um, and then we could just, you know, shoot it in 20 minutes usually. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Justine. Thank you so much for being here on Brandwagon. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Justine, I love how fired up Justine gets about marketing and about design and about email. Justine gets fired up. It's pretty great. Um, one of the things that she was so fired up about that I thought was really interesting is talking about the challenges of getting a show going. You know, it helps out they've shot one episode, they're figuring out how to get the other ones going, and it can be hard to figure that out at first. You know, that's definitely something that we've experienced too. And the nice thing is, though, once you get a format and you get a production schedule and you start to get things figured out, it actually gets much easier. So, for example, with Brandwagon, we shoot the interviews and the stuff on the desk on different days. It would be a lot for me to do that all in one day. By breaking it up, each shoot is shorter. It's easier to do. We get the pre-production done, so we kind of know what we're going to talk about. And as things have flown, it, got, it gets easier and easier to make the show happen. So, if you're out there and you're making a show, it gets easier. Do a pilot. Give it a shot, share it with other people, get feedback. You'd be surprised by how much can change from just episode one to episode two. That's our show for you today. Thank you so much to Justine. Thank you to the live studio audience. Thank you to the crew. And I will see you next time. On the next and final brand wagon, Chris sits down with the co-founder and CEO of HubSpot, Brian Halligan and the reveal of our converted 1991 Volvo station wagon that is now a brand wagon. That's amazing. <laughs>